0: The Secret Church Podcast is a resource from Radical.net. For the Secret Church 11 study guide and other resources that go along with this audio, visit Radical.net slash SC11. This is Secret Church 11, Episode 10. Sexual Satisfaction. Gospel foundations. Here we go. And then we're, what we're going to do is we're going to just walk through quickly foundations and we're going to get to Song of Solomon. That's where we're going to close. Ha. Sex is relational. Stick to the notes, Dave. Stick to the notes. Sex is relational. This, this is just foundations that we see in Scripture. I think there's seven of them here, and I'm leaning a lot on Heimbach, that great resource that I mentioned earlier. Sex is relational. It's not a mechanical act that happens between two objects. It's a personal act that happens between two people, becoming one flesh. So you see how Proverbs talks about the prostitute. Don't give yourself to a stranger. This is a personal, intimate, relational act with another person that you're joining your flesh with. It's not something you do with someone, treating them as an object for pleasure. This is a person with whom you have a relationship. Sex is relational. Sex is exclusive. You participate in with the wife of your youth. Drink deeply, Proverbs 5 says, from the well that is yours, not someone else's. All throughout Scripture, sex is only celebrated in the context of exclusive covenant relationship between a husband and a wife. It's exclusive. Sex is intimate, not trivial. It is deep. It is deep. This is where we realize sex is obviously physical, but it is deeply spiritual. We've talked about this. Ephesians 5, sex is a union not only of bodies, but of souls. When Genesis 2 says a man will hold fast to his wife, I put other scriptures, and all these other scriptures after that are places where that same word for hold fast is translated differently as used. To to point out how it's a picture of loyalty and commitment to one another where nothing divides and nothing separates that's what sex is intended to be sex is intimate sex is fruitful obviously sex is productive based on Genesis 1.28 be fruitful increase and multiply that doesn't mean though that sex is is wrong if it's not producing children we've talked about barrenness earlier tonight and God used in patriarchs lives for examples unfruitful sex to still build faith and obviously we see and we're going to see in Song of Solomon that that there is there is a picture of of intimacy that obviously grows in marriage as a result of sex. First Corinthians chapter seven verse one three. Don't rob one another of this desire. Remember, I was when we were preparing to do first life uh, simulcast with Lifeway. Lifeway had invited me to come to a women's event they were doing here in Birmingham, and it was ten thousand women gathered in this big auditorium. And when I got there, they asked me at the end just to close out in prayer for the women, which that was great. Until I realized that meant I needed to sit in on the final. Session of this women's conference, and the final session is when they took questions from the audience about sex. And so I'm sitting there in a room full of ten thousand women as they're talking about their husbands and this or that, and it was awkward to say the least. And and the, but I was thankful because at the end, Kay Arthur, woman of God who has taught the Word of God, and I so appreciated her for saying this. She was talking about First Corinthians seven, not not neglecting wives not neglect who she was encouraging all the women don't neglect your husband sexually and she said especially in this time of economic struggle in our country and where where men's self esteem sometimes is down where they're having a hard time providing this is all the more time for you to step it up and provide all the more during this time i got up and the first thing i said is i am more thankful for the recession now than i have ever been (laughs) like may the economy never ever recover ever (laughs) ever recover so Sex is fruitful. Sex is selfless, not self-centered. We've already seen this in Ephesians 5 with a picture of marriage. We're talking about 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I love this quote from Daniel Heimbach. Because you might think, what? Sex? I thought that was for self-gratification. Listen to this. Some wonder, of course, how sex can be truly satisfying or enjoyable without focusing on yourself. The idea of enjoying selfless sex seems contradictory. Does not getting the most out of sex require putting your own desires ahead of everything else? The surprising answer is no, both on biblical terms and based on human experience as well. God has embedded a paradox in How sexual pleasure works That helps to restrain Natural human selfishness The more a couple Focuses on pleasing each other The more enjoyment Each receives in return And the more a person Focuses on demanding His or own satisfaction The less satisfaction Is possible Self-centeredness Always destroys satisfaction While unselfishness Always makes it better Good word Heimbach Sex is selfless Two more One Sex is complex So, So many dimensions Sex involves the mind Sex involves the body Which is obvious I hope Sex involves the soul so great quote from C.S. Lewis, how all these come together. And finally, sex is complementary, meaning that meaning that sex brings together two people that complement one another on, on two main levels. One, complementary gender, as we've talked about, man and woman fitting together, and then complementary kind, such that sex between males and males or females and females is not only wrong, but also sex between, see Leviticus 18, between people and animals is obviously not part of God's design. Let's see in leviticus 18 how god put homosexuality and bestiality beside one another and so so see that All right, so there's gospel foundations now gospel prohibitions because there's a list of things in scripture that god says do not do When it comes to sex god clearly says no sex out of outside of marriage That all sexual desire is intended to be played out in the context of marriage and anything outside of that is adultery whether it's sex before marriage Sex with someone not, your spouse, during marriage. Anything outside of God's design is classified. And again, all over scripture, don't do it, don't do it. No sex outside of marriage. Clear, no questions or discussion. Singles, I urge you not to try to justify anything here where scripture is absolutely clear. Second, no sexual worship. Remember, sex is good, but sex is not God. We don't worship it. We don't worship the gift, we worship the giver. Third, no sexual prostitution clear in those verses as we've seen no homosexuality you'd have to deny scripture altogether to miss this as we've discussed no sex with animals no sex with relatives leviticus 18 6 confronted in first corinthians 5 no sex with children pedophilia is not specifically addressed in the bible when you take everything else we've talked about sex into account as well as clear instructions from christ and scripture about care for children it's clear no sex with children no sexual violence sex is not designed by god to be hurtful So any kind of spousal abuse or anything along those lines sexually is warned against in God's word. No sexual lust. We've seen this. It is wrong for you to think about to lust after sex with someone apart from your wife or your husband. No sexual lust. No sexual immodesty. So lust deals with Having sexual desires yourself. Sexual immodesty is about trying to promote, provoke sexual thoughts about you in others. Do not cause your brother to stumble. Romans 14. Adorn yourselves, women, in respectable apparel. Adorn yourself with modest dress. Do not draw attention to physical beauty. Sisters, let me encourage you. Especially. Brothers and sisters, both. But in, in a day where... Skin tight clothes, low neck nines, short dresses, short skirts, short shirts, short shorts, all of which fall, fall short of the biblical standard of modesty. To not look in the mirror and think, what's going to make me look best? Look in the mirror and think, what's going to bring the most glory to God and those around me? Do not draw attention to worldly wealth. That's what he's saying in First Timothy True. Instead, adore God through a Christ-like demeanor. And adore God with him. And so sexual immodesty now it's not just what we wear. Sexual immodesty also deals with what you see. So don't 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 try to see something that someone else is not wanting you to see. It includes what you touch. Deuteronomy 25, the law punishes a woman who grabs a guy in the crotch to help her husband in a fight. That is not permissible biblically. Just saying, crotch is off limits outside of marriage, no matter what's at stake. And this includes, sexual immodesty includes what you say. We're going there. Here we go. Includes what you say. So guard your language, brothers. Guard your language, sisters. Question, final, final prohibition. People ask, what about self-stimulated sex, i.e. masturbation? And people say, well, the Bible doesn't prohibit it, so maybe it's okay. And I hope we've seen that that kind of argument from silence is not healthy. The Bible doesn't directly prohibit pedophilia, but that doesn't mean it's pleasing to God. So is masturbation a self-stimulated sexual act pleasing to God? And it is clear, based on what we've seen in Scripture, that it is not in line at all with God's design for sex. It is a passion of the flesh, Galatians 5. You think about what we've seen about sex, and think about how this goes, how masturbation goes against everything that God has designed for sex. Sex is relational. Masturbation is individual. Solitary, alone, not God's design for sex. Masturbation encourages lustful wandering, not exclusive purity. Virtually impossible to engage in that act apart from lust and unholy desires for someone, something else. It's superficial, not intimate. Shallow at best. Not reflecting the intimate union God has designed. It's fruitless. Doesn't lead to child-rearing, faith-building, relationship-growing and all. It's self-centered, not selfless. It's only intended to satisfy yourself, not another. That is not God's design for sex. It involves physical isolation, not complex union. The complete opposite of what happens when two bodies, two minds, two souls come together. And when it comes down to it, it is a personal homosexual act. Not a complimentary heterosexual act. A male is aroused by a male. Or a female is aroused by a female. Same sex arousal, same sex fulfillment. Merely imagining a heterosexual relationship, which we've already seen is also wrong, does not make this a heterosexual reality. It's personal homosexuality. So it would be wise to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Okay, so those are the prohibitions, which are hugely important. But now, on to the the good stuff. So, Song of Solomon book about God and sex you start to read parts of, Psalm of Solomon and you say is that really in here Navy, navels and bellies and breasts oh my what is this but it is good it's, just, it's good it is from God God has given us desires and it is good that in scripture in his revelation we have an understanding of how that is to play out I remember when we were preaching I was preaching through an overview of this at Brook Hills and right after the sermon it was 9 o'clock worship gathering uh, an older couple comes up to me right after the service and they just were smiling ear to ear and they looked at me and they said pastor that was such a great sermon we're not even going to small group we're headed directly home and I I'm thinking like I'm poking my mind's eye out. So, okay. So, so there's a lot of, qu- <laughs> so there's a lot of questions we got about the book of Song of Solomon. You read through it, you got all kinds of imagery, plants and animals and spices. We understand when the guy says his bride is like a dove or a darling or a fountain, but when he says her appearance is like a horse or her hair is like goats or her nose is like a tower, we gotta wonder if this guy needed a little schooling on romance. So there's a lot that's difficult to understand. People have asked, is this allegorical? And people, people have said, well, does this, the do little things here or there stand for something different? Metaphors? What do they, what do they all stand for? So what is, does this image stand for? What does this image stand for? Is Song of Solomon typological? Like a a, a type is a shadow that's pointing to something greater. Others have asked, is Song of Solomon literal? Is it literally just naturally a book about a man and a woman showing love for one another? Is it a story or is it just songs? Is it two characters or three? Is it two Solomon by Solomon or about Solomon? All kinds of questions. Here's what we do know. Song of Solomon is musical. In other words, it's a a song. It's a poem. And it it literally means the finest of all songs. The Song of Songs. It's fine. And it is intended to show us a celebration of sexual love. It is, I think, in a very real sense, the way I understand Song of Solomon is that it's an illustration of Genesis 2, 24 and 25. Man and, man and woman, naked, unashamed, not stained by the effects of sin and sexuality, but enjoying one another as God has designed. Enjoying the pleasure that God has designed in this. And at the same time, reminding us about the cautions of sexual love. Over and over again in the book, you see, guard, guard yourself until the time God ordains. And you see the brothers guarding their sister from from giving herself sexually to anybody else until the time is right and God's design. So here's the picture. King and his bride in the book of Song of Solomon. Different facets. And I hope in the process to see that God is glorified in sex. Exclusive devotion. They sought out only each other. Now you might be thinking, well, didn't Solomon have all these different wives? But the the reality is this book is is monogamous from cover to cover. It's a picture of a man, one man, one woman together. You look at chapter 3, verse 1 through 4. It's a pursuit. She's calling out for him. He's calling out to her. You look at uh, chapter 4, verse 12 through 15. She's seeking after him alone. He's, He's longing. She's longing for him alone. And he describes her, a garden locked is my sister, my bride, a spring locked, a fountain sealed. And just describing her purity there. Because she has saved herself. And then listen to 7.10. I am my beloved. His desire is for me. So this is a picture of a man and a woman seeking after each other. So, exclusive devotion, seeking only each other, leading to heated expectation. This is where I want us to see, regardless of whether you're seeing this book a drama or not, there is anticipation here that builds between the king and his bride. Two facets of this anticipation. See this. First, they began with tender words. This is evident from the start and it lasts throughout. Listen how he starts. Let him kiss me. How she starts, let him kiss me with the kisses of your mouth. Your love is better than wine. Your anointing oils are fragrant. He says, if you do not know a most beautiful woman in the tracks of the flock and pasture your young goats beside the shepherd's tents, I compare you, my love, to a mare. There's the horse. Among Pharaoh's chariots, your cheeks are lovely ornaments, your necks with strings of jewels. And it continues throughout. My beloved is radiant and ruddy, distinguished among 10,000. His head is the finest gold. His locks are wavy, black as a raven. His eyes are like doves Stream beside streams of water, bathed in milk, sitting beside a full pool. His cheeks are like beds of spices mounds of sweet smelling herbs his lips are lilies dripping liquid myrrh his arms are rods of gold set with jewels his body is polished ivory bedecked with sapphires his legs are alabaster columns set on bases of gold his appearance is like Lebanon choice of the cedars that'll make any guy feel great (laughs) if I had a dollar for every time Heather said my arms are like gold set with jewels I would be a rich man so here's the deal this is key this is key passion for one another is clearly grounded in praise for one another Passion with one another, grounded and praised for one another. You talk to your wife like this, brother, you're in for a good night. Sister, you talk like this to your husband, all talking about his body like polished ivory and his wavy locks. This is romance in the making. So they began with tender words and that led to tantalizing work. And this is the climax of the book and one of the shadiest parts of the book. Where the king basically starts at the top of his bride's body and works his way down, praising every part of her body. And the imagery is beautiful, healthy, God-glorifying images to describe sexual love in a way that's appropriate and alluring at the same time. So follow along here. These verses are basically the king's mental, if not physical, undressing of his bride behold you are beautiful my love behold you are beautiful your eyes are doves beyond your veil your hair is like a flock of goats leaping down the slopes of Gilead little explanation here pictures from a distance a herd of black goats coming down the mountainside like sun glistening off their backs that would be a beautiful thing so she lets down her hair for him comes across his shoulders he's drawn in Okay. your teeth are like a, f- a flock of shorn ewes that have come up from the washing all of which bear twins and not one of them has lost its young ha. <laughs> so she's got her teeth this is positive This is very positive. Uh, So so I Twittered this one day, the idea that not one of her teeth was missing. I had a couple of people from Kentucky respond that she couldn't have been from there. (laughs) It's horrible. It's horrible. So anyway, blessings to our brothers and sisters in Kentucky. You guys said it, not me. I didn't say that. So she's got her teeth, which is great. Your lips are like a scarlet thread, and your mouth is lovely. Your cheeks are like halves of a pomegranate behind your veil, blushed red, like a sweet fruit, a tract of the eye, ready to be kissed. Your neck is like the Tower of David, built in rows of stone. On it hang a thousand shields, all of them like shields of warriors. So <laughs> if you read that, you start thinking, hmm, so she had a long, fat neck. But that's really not <laughs> the picture. The picture here is like a tower, tower of David, dignified, elegant, holding her head above her body proudly. Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle that graze among the lilies. Anybody else feeling awkward right now? Until the day breathes and the shadows flee, I will go away to the mountain of myrrh and the hill of frankincense. I'm not even going to try on this one, so I'm going to lead on my friend Danny Akin who wrote a great commentary on this book called on Song of Solomon called God and Sex. He writes, Note that there is nothing even remotely pornographic about this imagery here. Pornea clearly refers to evil sexual desire. An entire industry is built on exploding sinful passion. Solomon's point here is that a man's desire for his wife is holy. His pleasure and erotic desire for her is holy. To deny this is to deny one of God's good gifts. First, they are compared to twin fawns of a gazelle that feed among the lilies. They're soft and attractive, tender and delicate, making her husband want to gently touch and caress them. Secondly, he describes them as two mountains, one a mountain of myrrh and the other a hill of frankincense. Both spices expensive and uses a perfume for the body in the marriage bed. Now the senses of sight and smell are aroused. So enraptured is Solomon that he desires to make love to his wife all night long until the day breathes and the shadows flee away. Well said, Danny. So... Isn't it good that God has given us a beautiful description of how our sexuality is intended to be expressed? So he continues, You are altogether beautiful, my love. There is no flaw in you. Come with me from Lebanon, my bride. Come with me from Lebanon. Depart from the peak of Amman, or from the peak of Sunir and Haman, from the dens of lions, from the mountains of leopards. You have captivated my heart, my sister, my bride. You have captivated my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your neck, necklace. How beautiful is your love, my sister, my bride. How much is your love better than wine, and the fragrance of your oils than any spice. Your lips drip nectar, my bride. My honey and milk are under your tongue. Apparently the French did not invent that one. The fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. A garden locked is my sister." a spring lock a fountain sealed. your shoots are an orchard of pomegranates there it is a garden fountain a well of living water and flowing streams from Lebanon like this, is, this is like a fantasy garden a lover's dream to find all these fruits and spices and flowers together this is my bride and she's wonderful this is good And when you go to the garden, you will never be bored. There will be pleasures to be discovered. All leading to intimate consummation. Awake, O north wind, south wind. Blow upon my garden. Let its spices flow. Let my beloved come to his garden and eat its choicest fruits. I came to my garden, my sister, my bride. I gathered my myrrh with my spice. I ate my honeycomb with my honey. I drank my wine with my milk. Eat, friends. Drink and be drunk with love. They gave their bodies over to one another. She who had been a locked garden, closed to the public, now opened up for him to enjoy and here heimbach says here's something extraordinary she takes the key lock and everyone out and gives it to him she's kept everyone out and that made her special but now she gives him the key allowing him in and that makes him special that is why modesty is alluring it does not keep the garden locked forever but saves it for the right person at the right time intimate consummation a picture of pure satisfaction on every level this is emotional satisfaction this is spiritual satisfaction this is intellectual satisfaction and this is clearly physical satisfaction (laughs) Aiken says we cannot be certain of all that is meant by the imagery of coming to the garden and tasting the choice fruits But it is not difficult to imagine all sorts of good stuff (laughs) Constant anticipation make haste my beloved This is how it ends and be like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountains of spices (laughs) After all that's happened he's off doing something else as a part of his daily routine and she says make haste be like a gazelle a stag which animals known for their speed and swiftness run after the mountains of spices, which there's not a lot of room for imagination here. But basically the Song of Solomon ends with, hey, hurry up, let's do this again. We desire to do this again soon. This is kind of, this is the way sexual love perseveres at last again, again and again and again and again and again and again and you get the point. So, scripture, Song of Solomon, a picture of sexual love. But this is where I just want you to, all right, just go. Kind of Google Earth with me for a second. Bring this out. This is where we'll close. Bring this out. Because yes, this is a picture of sexual love between a man and a woman. But we know from all we've seen tonight that a man and a woman in love like this in the context of marriage is intended to be a picture of something much greater. Not every little detail, a picture of standing for this or this or this, but love between a man and a woman pointing us to a king and his bride in Ephesians, what we've already read. Think about the gospel that we have talked about tonight. Humble devotion. The reality that the King has sought after you. Christ has come running after you. Humble devotion. Historic expectation. What all of history, Old Testament history longed for. He came to us as the fulfillment of all of God's word. Flawless in all of his works. Exactly who we needed. Sacrificial consummation. He gave up his body for us. So that we could be reconciled to God and experience total satisfaction. Loving Him with all our hearts and all our souls and all our mind and all our strength. Leading to continuous anticipation where we long for the completion of our salvation. More and more and more of Christ. More of Christ until the day where we where we are like Him. We see Him as He is. We're conformed fully into His likeness. Which leads us to the King and His bride in Revelation. I heard what what seemed... To be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and give Him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. Then I saw new heaven and new earth, first heaven and first earth, passed away, see no more, holy city, coming down out of heaven, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. Dwelling place of God with man, God with him as their God, wiping away every tear from their eyes, death no more, no more mourning, crying, pain, former things passed away. Marriage here is intended to point us to the eternal relationship we have as the bride of Christ, a relationship of continual devotion. Know this, brothers and sisters, the King who sought after you on the cross will never stop seeking you. He will continually pursue you as his beloved. It won't be easy. That's why John writes this, the book book of Revelation, to suffering saints, many who are being persecuted for their faith, and John implores them in hopeful expectation. Cling to God's Word. Trust in His Word. The King is coming for you. This is a hurtful, fallen world. Trust in Him. The King is coming for you. And commit to God's work. Don't waver in the battle. Preach Christ, 2 Corinthians 4. Proclaim Christ to every nation on the planet, every people group, Matthew 24. Until all Nations have disciples of Jesus until the day when a great multitude that no one can count from every nation, tribe, people, and language sings of salvation. Give yourself to that work, brothers and sisters, bride of Christ, because glory, glorious consummation is coming when our bodies will be made complete with Him. And sufferings of this world will be gone and glory will come. We will be resurrected with Him and together we will experience eternal satisfaction. Brothers and sisters, death will be replaced by life. Night will be replaced by light. Corruption will be replaced by purity. curse will be totally replaced by blessing. This is our consuming anticipation. Revelation 22, verse 4 and 5. They will see His face. And His name will be on their foreheads, and the night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Let's live, brothers and sisters, in our families, and our marriages, as men and women. Let's live out the gospel. Let's proclaim the gospel to the ends of the earth. All the families and the peoples and the nations on the earth. Give our lives. Lose our lives, if necessary, making this gospel known with one cry constantly on our lips. We want to see your face. And he who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Thank you for listening. You can find more episodes from Secret Church and thousands of other free resources at Radical.net.